Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. I want to say that I really look forward to the last five weeks, not just because we had a lot of our members pick up the slack when it comes to preaching, which was very helpful, thank you, but also it was very, very interesting to hear the insights and the wisdom of so many of our people in a, in a broad spectrum of insight that, that they brought in their stories. And it's so good that we can hear. I'm, I want to encourage those of you as well, if you, um, if you feel this is a, a, a good place to share stories, don't let your stories not be heard. It's, a, it's the place where this should be a safe place for your stories to be heard. But I want to thank those that were specifically the ones that filled in the gap here during this interim. So thank you. But let's bow our heads as we begin. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful that this morning is here, that we get a chance to celebrate who you are in our lives as we sing and as we listen, as we share. And I pray that you would be in the midst of all of this. We pray in your name. Amen. You know, speaking of stories, it's, it's really quite apparent that in every aspect of Jesus' teaching, it was almost always story. He, he used stories and analogies, and we, we read it all throughout the Gospels. But what we don't sometimes see is the fact that Jesus was such a good listener of stories. He also was able to see underneath and the motivation for those stories. So when you, when you read some of those things, you kind of go, whoa, Jesus saw something there that maybe they didn't quite see themselves. Uh, take, for instance, the man who was laying there ill the, at the side of the pool of Bethesda. He was sitting there, and Jesus comes up to him. He asks this question, do you want to be healed? And the man starts into this big story about, well, I've been sitting here for, you know, decades. Nobody wants to help me. I'm sitting here. And every time I try to get to the pool first, someone beats me. And he goes into the story and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Which was Jesus seeing through the story that he had, this person who has kind of made himself out to be this victim in a way. And Jesus says, but do you want to be healed? And he says, yes. And he says, well, then take up your bed and get out of here. Oh, I mean, he says it a little more profoundly, but that's basically what he does. And then Jairus, Jairus, who is this priest whose daughter is ill, very ill, comes to Jesus and he says, I really need you to come heal my daughter. And so Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus's daughter. And on the way, there's this woman who touches Jesus' garment and Jesus stops and talks and connects with this woman. And Jairus is, you know, turning around. And while Jesus is talking with this woman who had been sick for 12 years, could she have waited another day? Jairus gets word that his daughter daughter has died. And Jesus turns now to, to Jairus and he says, 
these words that are so powerful in that moment because Jairus, you can tell Jesus knew what was on his mind. He could see in his eyes what was taking place. If you'd have just not stopped, you might have been able to get to my daughter in time. And Jesus says to him, do not fear, only believe. So he, he sifts through the, the words and he looks for the meaning in between the words and the motivations underneath the words and the background noise, so to speak, of that story. And he gets to the heart of really what is at the issue of these people. I, I sometimes think that we miss this part from the standpoint of our ability to proclaim what we think is true and what we think should be heard. And sometimes we miss that Jesus is actually saying, no, stop, take a, take a look at what you just said and listen to what maybe was the motivation behind that story. There's no better story than the one that, and it's actually really not much of a story, it's really a sentence from the disciples. But it's found in Matthew chapter 19. Now, those of you that know Matthew 19, it's really one of those, one of those chapters that we go to when we talk about what Jesus says about divorce and marriage. Uh, because it's, and it's actually found in three different areas. It's found in Luke, Mark, and also in Matthew. But Matthew takes it a little further. So what's happened here is the, the priests or the religious leaders have come to Jesus and they have said to him, is it, is it good that um, a man can just give a note to his wife and dismiss her? Basically, there was two schools of thought going on at the time, and there was some debate and some controversy within the religious leaders about this very issue. There were two schools of thought that that one was quite rigid, one was a lot more lenient. One was that, no, you couldn't give your wife that note of divorce unless there were some very certain things that she has crossed the line on, so to speak. One, of course, would have been um, being unfaithful intimately, but also another one would have been if she wasn't able to give you children. And, uh, and there were a few others, you know, that, that they were quite rigid on those things. But then there was the other school that said, well, if she's not pleasing you visually, if, she, if you don't really like what, how she does work around the house. I mean, they were very, very linear. And Jesus came in and he says, he didn't want to, he didn't even get involved in that controversy. He just said, you guys were given all of these laws because Moses gave you those because of the hardness of your heart. But he says, it was really never designed to be this way. When God instituted this, it was a commitment for life. That's how it was supposed to be. And so as he's talking, the religious leaders start to fade away because they realize they haven't been able to trap Jesus. But the disciples are listening. They're hearing what Jesus has said, and so their response is quite interesting. They say, if those are the terms of marriage, we haven't got a chance. Why get married in the first place? So Jesus listens again to the words and the motivations. Why make a commitment to someone that you can't get out of? Is what they're saying. You're making marriage too hard on us. Speaking as 
men in the first century, right? Yet they failed to see how so many others were on the outside of that statement. There's a, there's a real lesson that Jesus is trying to teach right now, and that is the aspect of empathy. Our, our Stephen ministers, that's one of the things that they learn. For those of you that have gone through Stephen ministry, but those of you that maybe are contemplating it, it is one of the key pieces of knowing how to provide care and compassion. When you're able to look beyond yourself and understand your connection with God is not just about you, but it's also about being able to reach down, look beyond yourself to the, to the hurt and the pain and some of the suffering of others and bring them and walk them next to you, close to God. And it's that, it's that piece that Jesus was trying to help them see that you guys are only speaking about yourself. You're not seeing it outside I had a, a, a young, I had a brother actually for a few years. Now, let me, let me help you out. He was, uh, my parents were foster parents. And uh, up until this point, they had only had young uh, baby girls. And, uh, and so when the thought of having a brother, and he was about five years old, when the thought about having him come on, I was quite excited actually. And so I said, um, you know, I said to mom, I said, is, is he going to, you know, be able to play with me? I was about nine years old at the time. And she goes, well, he's, he's going to be about five. So yes, there, there'll be some opportunities. But I had not realized the trauma that he had gone through because he had been placed from home to home to home. And the, the trauma was quite evident. When he got to our house, there was some odd behaviors that I was not, uh, I was not even ready for. The rocking late at night, the hiding behind the couch, uh, most of the day. And again, it was a big adjustment, not just for me, but for the entire family and for him, of course. But there came a time when mom got a little close to him and she was able to start being able to, to hold him. And uh, then there, there were times when she was actually, actually able to keep him close to her. Even when he got startled, he would stay close because most of the time he would usually run or hide. And then there was that time when he finally learned to laugh, to smile. And it was, it was a really momentous occasion. I remember my mom saying to my dad and all of us, he laughed today. And uh, it was about that time that I was starting to think it wasn't so great having a brother. I thought my mother paid way too much attention to him. I, I thought that, you know, hey, you're just babying him. You know, you're coddling him too much. He doesn't need all of that. And, uh, and I got to thinking to myself, you know, he's doing all this stuff just to get attention. So one day my mom was getting, doing some stuff around the house and she says, why don't you take Tommy out and, sh- and, and get him familiar with Sugarfoot? Sugarfoot was my pony that I had gotten from my, my um, birthday, little tiny pony. And it was my great dream that someday Sugarfoot and I would basically ride the range and uh, maybe even get called onto a cattle drive. There were no cattle drives in Wisconsin, but that was my dream. However, Sugarfoot was basically an overgrown pet, not really much of a trusty steed, so to speak. So, um, so I, I, thought, I think my mom thought it was pretty safe for Tommy to go out and pet Sugarfoot. So I got out there and 
we were out in the, the stable area and, and I had brought Sugarfoot out and Tommy had stood back crossing his arms and shaking his head. And I thought, you know, I'm his older brother. I'm the one that, you know, should, you know, he needs to learn that he doesn't need to just have his mother around all the time. What I was really saying in that story was he doesn't need my mother all the time. So I grabbed him before he could run away and I threw him up on top of Sugarfoot and he was stiff as a board. He hung on with both hands around the front and legs crossed. I mean, just as tight as he could. It looked like he was enjoying himself. And so I led the horse out of the barn and out into the backyard. But as soon as he saw my mother, he slid off the pony and ran to her screaming as if I was trying to kill him. And there, you know, and my mom looks at me with that look, you know, what did you do? You know, and and I go, I didn't do anything. He was fine until he saw you. And, uh, and my mom took him back in the house. I took the pony back to the barn. But that evening I had a lesson in terms of what empathy means. And she said to me, she says, think about what it would be like if there was never, ever a feeling of safety. Think of what it would be like if you didn't trust anyone in your life, that you couldn't feel secure at any time. That's what it was like when he was up on that pony. I, you know, I didn't want to disagree with her, but I didn't quite see it yet. But I do remember thinking back, yeah, I I probably forced that interaction a little too much. Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand that when they made that statement, it would be better for us to not be married at all. What what they're really saying is they, they just don't see it beyond themselves. You see, for a woman in, in, in that day and age, it would, have been, it would have been a huge hardship because they were not able to get anywhere in that community or in that, in that culture without being married. But Jesus doesn't bring up women. It's kind of an interesting thing. He doesn't use women in this case to, to bring his point home. Because the disciples probably would have said, hey, we'll take care of them. No worries. They're our property. We got to take care of our property. That's, that's sort of the way in which they would have brought them in. Women were not considered quite outsiders. But Jesus brings up another group of outsiders. The very next verse, right after, this, after these disciples share this message with Jesus, Jesus brings up eunuchs. Quite interesting that he now uses eunuchs as another group of outsiders, actually, in this culture, that they also hadn't counted on. And Jesus uses the eunuchs, and he says, not everyone is like you. Look outside of your own situation and put yourself in the shoes of others. You see, they needed a savior too. Everyone that the disciples were excluding in that statement, they had no empathy for what it was like to live 
outside of the security of who Jesus was. And that is the good news. That's the good news of what is going on here. As Jesus said, I'm not here to just give a new law or a new preference or a new set of principles. I'm here because you need someone you can trust rather than trying to live up to a law that will never, ever be able to be kept. I'm here to supersede that. Tommy was not with us more than two years. But during those two years, he did learn to ride a horse. And we rode together, actually, out in the field, out in the woods. We rode quite a bit. And he actually eventually learned to trust me and feel safe in his family. It was a hard thing to watch him go. It was a hard, hard thing on all of us. But he went to a really, really good family. He needed that time. You see, Jesus asks us all to take the time to look beyond your own story. It's really difficult to have compassion. It's even, it's even more difficult to have empathy when you think you're the victim. When you think you're the one that's been wronged all the time. So when you finally push yourself aside and you take your story and you look between the lines like Jesus does, it helps us understand why we can say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the piece of empathy. So the next time you think you've been wronged and you think you need to get the score even, look for eyes of empathy. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.